0: Hello. Welcome to the Human Tech Podcast, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi, Guthrie. And uh, we also have with us a one Mr. Dean Barker.
1: Hi, Dean. Hello.
2: Hello, Susan. Uh, Hello, Guthrie.
0: Continuing our, our, uh, our series.
1: Our never-ending um, series. Uh,
0: we're we're oh, still doing objects be, yeah. and views. What? Are we still doing objects and views?
1: Uh, Dean's got the, yeah. He's yes. not, yeah. Okay. Dean's yeah. Got
0: so this is, um, we're continuing uh, the, the, uh, the, I don't know, you guys, your guys' is musings, conversation. On, musings on objects and views. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good.
1: I I'm have, though, great. unbeknownst to Dean.
0: Uh oh. It's always a bad story. <laughs>
1: <spirit. laughs> <laughs> uh, ruh I have, I have, I have something I want to, Kind of, I don't know. Argue about, I don't know. Discuss. All right. All right. But I, it doesn't have to be at the top. You can, I can say that, and then you can worry about it for the whole podcast. <laughs>
2: you're gonna weave it in.
1: I am. I'm gonna kind of right. see where we go. But there is a discussion I I would like to have. So at some point we'll have it today, and you have well, no idea what it is.
2: <laughs> I'm 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 ready for. I've worked with you long enough. I know I'm ready for anything. So
1: okay all right dean where did we leave off last time so we this is number three or number four four Uh, number four on this on on this topic where we've been going back and taking a historical look or a hysterical look depending on your (laughs) view of it uh of uh, about technology and hardware and software but because we were wanting to talk about the idea of object-oriented user experience. So where do we leave off and what do you want to talk about today?
2: So we left off in the last episode with communities of practice and programmers and designers being from Mars and Venus, or maybe it's Venus and Mars, I forget the book, but being of different ilk in different communities. And we were talking a little bit about how um, object-oriented programming and object-oriented UI design are not the same thing, similar but different. And so I wanted to go into some modest technical detail about what object-oriented programming is. Okay. And then I think we can get to the nitty-gritty of, UI objects. Uh, yeah. So maybe I'll start with the, the programming side of the fence and then we okay. can segue and you can take over on the object view stuff and we can get okay. to the details about that. Sound good? Sound good. All right. So just to follow up on the history lesson, object oriented program is related to history in as much as there was, I think it was in the sixties uh, program uh, from some Scandinavian uh, research institution called Simula that led to the development of Smalltalk, and there's uh, a lot written about the early history of Smalltalk. But it which was which is like
1: a programming language.
2: It is a programming language. It's often credited as being the credited as being the first object-oriented programming language. It's not Simula was. It preceded it and informed it. Uh, I, I suppose, in part, you know, we've had this phrase that that i stole from theo mandel object ish right i suppose it was in part more object ish than truly object oriented but nonetheless certainly small talk popularized the whole idea Mm -hmm. and so if you think about the history of programming languages um you know you've had basic which a lot of us of my generation kind of grew up on that was the first thing i learned to program in c pascal fortran other languages uh, prior to Smalltalk. Smalltalk is really the language that created the movement around object-oriented programming, and then out of that came C++, came Java, came Python, which is probably the most popular language now. All of these things come out of the constructs that uh, Alan Kay and others developed at Smalltalk. We'll get into the technical-ish details and away from the history. The thing that's important about the history really is that Smalltalk came out of Xerox PARC. So in our story about the evolution of UI technology, UI thinking, user experience design, uh, again, Xerox PARC plays a part in that on the the programming side. And so what is object-oriented programming? Object-oriented programming is Um, Like object oriented design, it's a way of thinking and doing work. So within that community of practice of programmers, developers, engineers, lots of synonyms in our world, uh, there's a way of thinking about programming based on the older languages, like I mentioned, and then based on the, the more modern languages The more modern languages are object oriented in contrast to what were described as procedural languages right? And so if you think about when you, when you code, if anybody's ever even seen in a movie lines of code on a screen, they're, they're done in, in blocks or units, right? And, and what are these chunks of code? Well, in the earlier ways of thinking, it was procedural. So procedures, also called functions, methods, subroutines, are, are basically statements. So for loops, while loops, uh, Boolean logic, things like if, then, else statements, that, that kind of thing. And so procedural language divides the programs into these smaller chunks, refers to them as, as functions or, or procedures, and it's a set of instructions. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and it's all all based on, on, uh, on logic. So procedural, you can think of the procedure, literally stepwise. Object-oriented program, divides the system or the units into objects. And so an object is a code structure that is reusable. It's stepwise, uh, or it's not, it's not stepwise like the procedural. You have these objects, and the way that work gets done in the program is that the objects pass messages back and forth. They, they essentially talk to one another. And so this was pretty novel and ground groundbreaking when it came out. So you've got this idea of an object which takes the states, the the methods, the attributes, the behaviors of that thing, that object that you're creating in the code, and contains them all in that in that chunk of code. And that's the so, idea of <clears throat> encapsulation, which is a, can, a big principle here.
1: Can you give an example of what an object might be just, you know, in object oriented programming? I might have yeah. an object called.
2: Yeah. So uh, you know, you think about in the healthcare space, you might have patients, right? Mm-hmm. And you might have insurance companies, and you might have bills So the or the object right?
1: patient is going to have all kinds of stuff associated with it. And so when I'm when I'm writing my code, I'm going to be talking about what to do with particular objects.
2: Exactly. And, and, it, and importantly, yeah. how they relate
0: to other
1: to objects. It, right. right.
0: And did, did you guys talk about databases yet? Uh, we touched on it. Well, we're definitely but I should connect. just, I should just add briefly that one of the things that helps make the whole mental model of object oriented stuff kind of make a little more sense is the, 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 just thinking about how data is stored in software, because there is data and it has to be stored somewhere, right. and it the you know, the, uh, you know this this kind of low level stuff. You can't automatically just store anything you want, like it's a Excel file or something. Like certain data has to be different types. Certain data has to be formatted a certain way. Has to be accessible in a certain way. And so, chunking data that sort of makes sense together together um, helps sort of make everything smooth.
2: Yeah, which is, which is done in an object, uh, but, and there's a big but yeah. in there, uh, in the evolution of database thinking. So so relational databases, which is where I started my career, uh, relational databases stores data in tables, and those tables relate to one another. And so we'll talk a little bit about the, the thought process, but to, to kind of get ahead of ourselves a little bit, that thought process of thinking in things, right? We talked earlier about nouns and things. Uh, it's the same process that uh, database designers go through in terms of creating entity relationships di- relationship diagrams, right? So you've got patient, you've got appointments, you've got all these things, how do they relate to one another? You have to structure that out and think about the logical relationships. Same thing in object-oriented programming that they do in database programming. Um, there was a movement towards object-based database applications. I guess um, I might be misremembering, but I think it was in the nineties that didn't really take off. And the computing history that is not really talked about with that is the reason that it didn't take off is because of legacy code, legacy data, Then all these companies that wanted to move to the shiny new uh, object oriented databases, would have had to completely write com- uh, rewrite things would have had to completely m- migrate tons and tons yeah. of data and it would have been just herculean efforts and so so you actually have object oriented programs that do talk to relational databases right so it's not all you know, nothing is clean, right? There's it's a Susan, as you say all the time, it's a muddle, right? There's kind of a muddle of technology and even paradigms in here. But but nonetheless, the in its pure form, you've got objects that encapsulate all of these things. And there are some other constructs that are important with object-oriented programming, these characteristics like abstraction, inheritance, polymorphism. We won't necessarily get into all of them because I know we want to get to the UI stuff, but these are important programming. Concepts. I think the two that are most important as it sort of transitions into what we really want to talk about is this notion of abstraction and inheritance. So, you know, Susan, you talked the last time. I'm trying to remember the uh, the story that you told. I did have some notes here. Where's Susan's story?
1: About when I was taking my programming class.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. The oh. There, there was an employee vendor situation. So yeah. you were you were talking about um, working for a client that had created objects that included employees, vendors, customers, that that sort of thing. And, and again, it's the Mars and in, in Venus. You know, you right because you're they pa- had
1: one object which to them was people. Right. And right. so when they were going to part do part of the programming and create screens that had to do with anything people whether that was an employee or a customer or uh you know a vendor they were using underneath all of that the same object which for them which was the people object right and when we were designing the interface we were talking about user interface objects and we had an uh, from the user point of view, there was an object which was employees, and another object that was customers, and another object that was employees uh, um, that was vendors, and those were three different objects right. from the interface point of view because um, the users definitely don't think of those three <laughs> things as being the same. And and at first, when I had, so we had designed, you know, the interface taking this object view view uh, point of view that, you know, we talk about in interface design. And then we're trying to have a conversation with the programmers about what we've designed. And there, there was just like, you know, they were confused and asking us questions and the questions didn't make any sense to us. And like, it was like, we're talking, you know, like you said, is Mars and Venus. We're just, it's like we couldn't even figure out what the issue was right. until I, I asked them about the programming side and found out that to them, this was all the same object. So they didn't understand why, you know, we kept saying, well, we have these three objects and these different views of each object. And they would go, no, 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 you have one object. And we'd go, no, 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 we have three. And this just like went on and on until right. I realized why we weren't communicating and as soon as we surfaced that and they understood that then it was like this big aha moment on both sides then we could talk together because then they knew what to do you know they thought i think i think they thought we were asking them to change their whole underlying object programming structure and we weren't right i I was you know and, and and this is comes back to what you said which is they're they're related object oriented programming is related to object oriented interface design there's there's definitely a point at which you have to connect <laughs> the two but they are not the same and it reminds me of the other story I always tell which is about you know Disney and and if you've ever and I've not been able to do this, but I've talked to people who have, ha- who have. I don't know if Disney does this anymore. At Disney World, they used to have special tours um, that they would bring you in and show you what's going on underground.
2: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Um, because you know, at Disney World, there's the part the the visitor sees, which is above ground. Right and that's where all the magic is. (laughs) But underneath that, there's an entire world literally underground. So if you work, if you're one of the characters, for instance, at Disney World, when you come to work, you come in a special entrance that takes you underground. And everything you do is underground. And you go there, and there's Food vendor, you know, there's the cafeteria and there's the locker room and you get into your costume. And then there are special places where you kind of magically appear above ground. So there's a whole underground world that makes the Disney World work. Disney World is the part that the visitor sees and it's not real. Right. okay and then there's the stuff underground where everything really happens and that's what i i always use that as an example of interface design because the interface that we create that the person interacts with on the screen or with the voice or whatever it's not real it's pretend that's okay that's good and i think sometimes if, if your mindset is as a programmer developer you're like wanting to to bring up to that interface level all the things that are going on underneath. And it's like, no, yeah. don't bring it up. We don't wanna see all that stuff. We need to create the fantasy world of the interface and, it, and it's a fantasy. It's not what's really going on. It's okay, yeah. but it's beautiful and it's a nice experience and it's interesting and it's fun and it's easy to navigate through. And then, then the two sides, the programming and the interface designer need to get together and make that translation so that, so that the interface designer knows enough about what's going on underneath to deal with the, the technical issues that, that the software developers have trying to do what you're asking them to do, right? Right. And but then the the software developers have to understand the fantasy you are trying to create and help you create that fantasy. And I think sometimes we don't have that conversation and we're not willing to work with the other side. And and I also think the more you know, I mean, if you're an interface designer, you're not going to be a programming specialist. Probably, it'd be really it's really hard to to keep up on both points of view and both bodies of knowledge. Um, but it's very help and, and vice versa, but it's very helpful to understand enough about what the other side is doing so that you can have these meaningful conversations and clear up misunderstandings that are going to occur. All right. Yeah. That's my rant.
2: No, no, that's a, that's a great rant. And it brings up a, a ton of really important things. Um, ideas and issues and and if we kind of work backwards that that whole idea of the the fantasy of a system the imagination of a system right that we talked in I think the first episode in this series about uh, mental models and conceptual models yes right and so as communities of practice as human beings developers are going to have a mental model about a system designers are going to have a mental model about a system yeah ultimately the one that matters is the end user's mental model but There is this imaginary world that you can think of as logical or conceptual. How we understand that and communicate it to one another, communicate about it with one another, rather, in the work that we do to produce software is is vital. And since we do have different paradigms, different tools, different ways of of working and thinking, we have to reconcile that, right? Because it's not just that imaginary versus real world. It's that logical or conceptual versus physical world in both these communities of practice, right? Because the programmers are going to do their work. They're going to think in terms of objects (coughs) and classes. I want to come back to classes here in a minute. Um, they're going to think in terms of objects and classes and doing all the work of managing the, the procedures and the data and everything within their code. And there's a physical reality to that code okay. and how data is pushed around, you know, back, to, back in databases and things like yep. that, as we discussed. That's a very physical, real thing, thing to them. That's not mm-hmm. just a conceptual or logical mm-hmm. model. Mm -hmm. similarly we have our conceptual logical model you know usually done with boxes and arrows you can use uml diagrams that that sort of thing and get more technical but ultimately what we do as designers is manifested in screens buttons tables widgets Mm -hmm. forms whatever Mm -hmm. right and so we both have a conceptual and physical idea of the thing and that that all has to be reconciled so that's, that's what cross-functional work that's is That's why all about. it's so hard. That's why it's so hard. That's right. Well, it's like, what did I, what did I read? I think it was, uh, it was like a, a therapy thing, you know, psychology for relationship problems and, and whatnot. And uh, something like 70% of marital problems are never reconciled, right? So, like, you have to get good to have a relationship at not reconciling thing reconcile those things that are reconcilable right
1: and let the rest go and
2: then and deal you know just like cope right like what do we do as yeah. human beings we cope we manage well in our, our work life it's the same thing you're yeah. not going to be able to reconcile everything so you have to as you've said muddle through it right but you have to yeah. find good ways to articulate this it does help if you are in an object-oriented environment, and it does help, as you've said, if if you understand more of the technical issues, so that you can communicate with with engineering groups. But you know, it's a heavy lift. We, I, I've talked to, I've talked to my students at at the university that I teach at about this, and they want to know, well, what do they need to learn beyond their program or or whatnot in yeah. order to do well in the industry? And the answer is everything, right? Like it's it's just it's such a, a heavy lift to understand all of these things. Our field alone, user experience, if, if that's the phrase we're going to use, is interdisciplinary, right? You have to know yeah. something about computer science. You have to know something about anthropology. You have to know whatever. Those are all the, the big disciplines that play into it. You can't know everything about all of that because within – user experience well you have to know interaction design you need to know enough visual design or color theory if you're an interaction designer or vice versa you have to understand research with qualitative and quantitative you should know something about accessibility you should know something about mobility you should know you know it keeps going on and every so often there are trends in the industry i think where things that used to be optional or novel or specializations now just become part and parcel of doing your work and like there's a whole you know 17th graduate degree, you need just to function.
1: Okay, but one thing I want to say, which I know I, I'll just try bitterly. to make this brief because it's so easy for us to go off topic and that's why we're on episode four of this topic. <laughs> um, Guthrie's like, yes, I was just going to say this. Um, hey, one of I'm the in things, no
0: rush at all. So. Okay,
1: <laughs> one of these, one of the things that, you know, if I think back uh, on the, and, and liter- literally thousands, okay? Of projects that I've consulted on in my career, the one of the things that has been the an indicator of whether this project is going to go well and be successful, and we're going to end up with an interface that works, and we're going to end up working effectively the the UX team with the software developers is, um, you know, there's there's uh, there's things going on with the project and the people, and, and based on what's going on, I can predict pretty accurately whether this is going to be successful or be a train wreck. Right, right, right. And one of those things is, is there someone on the team, on the software engineering side, that enjoys the challenge of figuring out whether we can actually do some of the th- the weird things that the UX people want us to do. Like how, you know, they don't think, if everyone thinks of it as, oh my God, I can't believe they're asking us to do that and that's not going to work because of this and that. If everybody is just like rolling their eyes and thinking these people are a pain versus... There's one person over there who's like, oh, I don't know Maybe I bet I bet we could do that. Let you know, if we just thought of it this way, you know that's that thinks of this uh, interact th- this relationship between the UX people and the software developer as a fun challenge right right and is interested in how might we do things, slightly different and get that result if there's one adventurous person then the project is likely to to be successful especially if that adventurous person is highly regarded by the other software developers right right you know that's that's important too so yeah no there's there's it's real. it's really interesting you know i've always said um you, know, you were just talking about all the things you need to know and you can't, I think it's, I think it's impossible to focus on either software development or, and I don't think it's possible to, to, on a particular project to be a software developer and a UX person, because I think you need to focus. You might be able to switch back and forth on the projects. However, if you can, uh, forge a, a good relationship. And if as a UX person, you know a little bit about the software development environment and programming tools that this project is using, that's very helpful. And on the software development side, if you know a little bit about UX and the UX you know, prototyping tool that they're using, that's really helpful. Because then at least you can have a meaningful conversation.
2: Yeah, and I think that begins wherever it needs to begin, right? Like there's.
1: Uh, well, that sounds that's a very Yoda-ish. It's a, well, yeah. There you we, go. I, be,
2: because here's must the thing. We begin
1: wherever <laughs> we need to begin.
2: I think it would be begin. We must anyway. We, oh, there. Um, yes, there you it, go. Subject, object, verb. <laughs> uh, but but I think it, it's like with with parenting, right? Like you. You have to, particularly as they start to get adolescent and teen and as I'm now finding out, which you've already known for years, college years, uh, you have to meet the, your child where they're at with certain things. Yeah. Right? And so in any relationship, if you're the one actively trying to pursue you know, an exchange, and improvement uh, and facilitate that, you have to begin with wherever the other party is at. Right. And so yeah. I, again, I just think that yes, the more that you know about engineering, the easier it's going to be to communicate. Right. But, you know, it's also a two way street. Right. Yep. So there's, there's some of that that's, that's in order. Uh, and while it's helpful for communication, it doesn't necessarily, it can, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, exponentially make you a better designer right there's enough specialization work and and enough things that we have to worry about from no it's more
1: it's more about the communication in fact i think if you know too much it'll distract you yeah all right go all right so i'm sorry i detoured back to where you were well we so we were
2: talking about objects and you you told that that first story pre-disneyland yeah, about uh, about the client and kind of talking past one another, and so yep. I think what you were touching on there is this idea of a, a distinction between objects and, and classes, right? And it mm-hmm. gets back to if we if we go back to kind of our agenda about object oriented program uh, programming and some of the key characteristics of it, such as polymorphism, encapsulation. Uh, abstraction and inheritance. Let's take those last two because they're going to play into our transition to to UI thinking. Uh, From a technical standpoint, you can have an object and you can have a class, right? And so customers and employees might be objects, as you said in your example, people would be a class, Mm -hmm. right? And there is this idea of inheritance where, for Mm -hmm. example, Customers and employees all have an address and a phone number. They have these attributes mm-hmm. that get inherited from that higher order of thinking, that higher level of thinking about the thing, mm-hmm. right? So object-oriented thinking is in part taxonomic, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's part of the whole deal about the thought process of thinking that way. And so while there are benefits from a certain structure that you might have from a technical standpoint, that may or may not map precisely to what you need right. from a design standpoint. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the challenge, but this, and, and I think one of the things that we need to think about is in, in these conversations, um, where do objects come from? And if you think about the whole idea of a business narrative, however, you're going to manifest yeah. that in, in, yep. In yep. use cases, in you know requirements specifications, and user stories, as a user type X, I want to do Y so that I can Z, whatever that is, right? You're going to capture these things. They're generated from the real world, from the world of business or whatever context we're in when we're making software, and that ultimately, it's so way back when we started this series, uh, way way back now. Um, that really comes from from language this whole idea about the language that we use to communicate. So for example, we just, we just bought a new truck. We just bought a new SUV, right? Went through the whole process and went to, you know, six different dealers and looked at different options and all of these things. And so my wife and I, and we're talking to the kids about the whole thing, all right, next weekend, you know, this is managing expectations, right? This is what we're going to do. Kids, everybody, everybody, pile in and we're going to spend the day looking at looking at cars well we would say we're going to go look at a new car we're going to go look at a new minivan we're going to go look at a new suv or pickup truck or whatever never once in that conversation did we generalize to say we're going to go look at and purchase a new vehicle right the word vehicle never entered our lexicon because we don't think that way right so you know we talk about kind of top-down in engineering about classes and objects, but really how these things are derived isn't from, uh, isn't from the inheritance and and thinking at that level of abstraction. It's the other way around. It's getting to sort of the, the primary objects that are in your user's world and then generalizing up. Right. And we do this on the design side as well as on the, on the engineering side, but those models are different. So it's an analytical technique. Right.
1: And I think this is one reason why it's easy to end up with interfaces that are not, that don't match the user's mental model. If in fact, the, the, uh, software engineering team is working off of what business is telling them to do. And if business has their view of the world, which is not the same as the user's view of the world, right? Then what you end up with is you end up with all the programming code stuff bubbling up into the interface and you end up with not just, you know, objects, but what things are called. Absolutely. Being based on, on, you know, this, this view of the world, um, You know, that and it's interesting because you can have a view of the world that the software engineers have, you can have a view of the world that the business has, and you can have a view of the world that the user has. You can end up with three different views of the same world that don't look at all alike and don't have the same terminology. And then you wonder why are why do the users not able to do this thing? Why are they having such a hard time? Well, you know, nobody's agreeing on what these things are, or they're using terminology like vehicle, you know, and vehicle it's like, okay, if I, I, and it's interesting, you know, it's like, okay, vehicle appears on the screen and that's not, I'm thinking about truck. I can probably figure out pretty quickly what you mean by vehicle, but, but should I have to? And, you know, we take that little few seconds and, and, you know, of, of disorientation. And then we add it with a few more seconds over here. Cause you called this, this, and, 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 you know, it's all these things. I always say, it's not just, it's, there's no, usually not one thing I can do to tell you to make your, your product usable. It's this combination of all these little things that you didn't do a good job at in terms of matching the user's mental model that now you have something that, is hard to learn and hard to use and then you put on top of that it's not just something as simple as calling something vehicle instead of a truck it, it gets even you know much more deeper in this conceptual model where you've got you know objects and views of objects that are really far away from how the user is thinking about it it's like you know that's how the company is thinking about it but you know the company's view of the world doesn't always match the user's view of the world
2: without a doubt and and so this idea of different models different mental or conceptual models even different physical models for the things that we create yeah is a real problem because you've got what we're doing from a user experience UI perspective you've got the application and the, the programmers that, that are potentially dealing with uh, an object model from from that perspective, you may have a, a related but slightly different entity relationship diagram representing a you know a, a database model for those who still think in, in that way. And all the, as you said, the, the definitions of the things, you know, some sort of data dictionary, some sort of glossary from a natural language perspective on the design side, whatever, all of these things. You might have a domain model that yeah. exists, for example, at an enterprise level, which is how – here's how we – talk about healthcare or finance or CRM or whatever, there are industry domain models that are generally accepted in certain contexts as well and that sort of thing. And all these things need to be reconciled because at the end of the day, yep. you're creating something for somebody to use in the in the real world. So I, I just want to kind of, I want to transition into our UI thinking, but to yeah. set that up, I want to go back to this idea of object oriented programming and the paradigms because in object oriented programming that is in contrast to procedural programming so yes. there's there's the distinction yep in object oriented ui design yes the distinction is a, is between that and application oriented Design this goes back to the Windows OS two thing and how we've ended up in sort of an object ish kind of paradigm. But those are the paradigms, and if you look at the literature, that's that's kind of those are keywords to to look at. But this idea of objects being generalized as classes, classes are a a blueprint or a a template for an object. Um, One thing that I want to say about that: this applies both to the engineering side of the fence and to the design side of the fence especially the design side of the fence is that there's not necessarily one right answer to yep. what that model should look like these yep. things are subjective so you've got this relationship between classes objects and instances if i'm thinking about i don't know mail order uh, mail order food service and i've got cakes, and I want to sell pound cakes. Well, I've got cakes as a class and pound cakes as an object and orange pound cake with vanilla glaze that I'm going to send to you when you order it as an instance of that. That's subjective. You could just as easily say, well, dessert is a class, cake is a subclass, right. pound cake is an object, orange pound cake is a subobject, whatever, right? Like you have these, these relationships that are not necessarily arbitrary, but certainly subjective. And again, that gets matrixed out because you're talking about that with three different communities, perhaps, or more, that have their version of that thing. So the, That's right. the level of complexity is insane.
1: Right. But the thing is, okay, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And so what's important when you're doing this object-oriented design work is to understand, as you said, it's complex there isn't one right way to do it. There are multiple ways to organize this conceptual model. And however, what the decisions you make to do it this way versus that way have real impact on what the interface ends up looking like and acting like. And so you have choices that you have to make. and. Uh, There is no one, you know, there's not just one interface that can come out of that, depending on your choices. There's uh, a lot of different ones. I like to say there's no one way to do it, but some ways are better than others when we're talking about, you know, ease of use and ease of learning and even ease of programming. So, uh, you know, you wanna you wanna talk through and think through your decisions um, and test out your decisions early, um, so that you can find out. You know, it's like we think it's a great idea to call it dessert, you know, or whatever. And, right, right, right. Or to call it pound cake or to and and then when we test it out, it's like people are it's like why did you why is there a special category called pound cake? I mean, you know, why isn't, or why isn't that just a cake? Or why is it, you know, why, why is it that way? Right. You need to test out your decisions about the conceptual model um, before you program the thing to find out, oh, wait, the way we're thinking about it is not the way the users are thinking about it.
2: Well, and that's right. You have to meet the user's, where they're at again meet them where they're at and understand their mental model and their language. So I've got a funny example for you on that. Do you like cheesecake? I do. All right. Describe yep. cheesecake, cheesecake for me. Thing. Guthrie. Let's bring Guthrie into the conversation. Oh boy. Guthrie, See this describe is you've cheesecake.
0: made a terrible mistake.
1: <laughs> Why? Uh, because this
0: is because not all cheesecakes are the same. Mm, mm. So this is right so well, so generalize. What is a cheesecake? If I if the aliens memorize.
2: if the aliens came down to Earth, okay, all right, that's good. How would you describe cheesecake to them,
1: Guthrie? Oh, you want me to go let's, first? And let's say yeah. let's
2: say the aliens let's say the aliens knew of cake and they knew of pie, but they had never experienced a cheesecake. Let's set those parameters.
0: So, <clears throat> cheesecake. It is. No, <laughs> the problem is it's not a cake or a pie, <laughs> Dean. That is that is that's the entire that's the entire point of it. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, it, it cake implies that the filling is flour. Pie implies that the filling is some sort of fruit or vegetable or meat or something. And uh, uh, cheesecake comes from more of a a set fat. Uh, lineage more close to it's in the, oh it's, in the it's in the it's in the it's in the custards the and, um, and definitely uh, asking the wrong person uh, uh, family uh, taxonomy <laughs> rather, rather uh. than a cake or a pie
1: right so no, I you, said
0: you made a mistake when you
1: picked no cheese actually no, no, no. that was a good that perfect. was good Got right
2: so that that's my point right so logically if you think about it's a goofy example but. Actually, no, but
1: it's a great example. So if I'm looking for cheesecake and I, and my choices are, you know, cake, pie, and custard,
0: right, right,
1: as my categories, right? What right. am I gonna What am I gonna do?
0: Um, the what? other way to think about it, conversely, uh-huh. if we really want to do one other level of abstraction here, is uh, the difference between all those is how does it become firm? How do you take things that are soft and bind them together in a form? So, with regular cake, you're using the proteins of the flour and maybe oh. some maybe some egg, mm-hmm. right? So, like, what are what are you know in the in a pie situation? You're really not. You're using the sugars to become. But this kind of is gelatinous. exactly
1: <laughs> the problem we have in interface design, because you're gonna get these. Domain experts, right? And they're going to tell you, "Oh my gosh, no, you can't design the interface that way because actually, a cheesecake—it it uh, the binding of the right—and they want to, they want to design the interface based on their knowledge, right? But you know, the regular person going to order a cheesecake doesn't have that domain expertise. At well, that's the right. It's
2: on the consumption side. And I think that, you know, if you think about a, a cake is a flour confection and a pie is a filled crust, right? So a cheesecake is, is a, really- It should be a, called
1: a cheese pie.
2: It's a cream cheese pie. A cream cheese
1: it, pie. All right. No and that's what cake. we're going to call it. That's right. In the order form, but, because but that's nobody. what it is.
2: But nobody, so the but mental nobody model nobody will users, find
1: it. That's right.
2: So so that that's where we're going with this. And
1: yeah. not yeah. only
2: will nobody find it but from a from a both a technical and design standpoint again there is this idea of inheritance, right? So you inherit these attributes from the from the parent class of the thing. And so, you know, you have to the cream cheese pie might be pure logic goofy example and you can logically argue for that but there's no earthly reason you would ever use that language and the problem remains where do you put that in the taxonomy right which is right. not to say that everything we do from a design standpoint is about taxonomy and information architecture
1: but uh, a, a lot of it is some but it,
2: it is. it's related and you know and particularly when you get to the relationships and the semantics there's a there's a relationship between an information architecture taxonomy and an object model the object model has a lot of Uh, complexity built into that but anyway so and this gets back to the whole idea i touched on a couple episodes ago about semiotics as a way to think of this because you've got the three dimensions of that are syntax meaning organization semantics meaning labeling and pragmatics how are the things used and the cheesecake is
0: used in its own way Uh, another very tricky one is you know Um, is, you know, is ketchup a solid or a liquid, (laughs) right? Because it bedevils everyone, Uh right? Because it's not, it's sort of neither. It's mercurial. Or windows is, you know, glass is technically a liquid, but not really.
2: Well, that gets into state then. Yeah. So now we can have the state conversation about objects. Anyway, so we wanted to get, I think, in this episode from the object oriented programming and technical yeah. to the design side of the fence. So yeah, objects and views. Uh, so Susan, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that and, and maybe get a little bit more concrete in terms of objects, views and how that works from the design side.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, it's, I, I like the conversation we just had, and I like some of the examples because I think it, it, it points out the importance of this thing that you know, I like to call the conceptual model. The importance of making these decisions before you start to put together screens and pages and 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 voice interfaces. Um, and and I think there's two main things we're doing when we do conceptual modeling. And to me, before you, you know. I, go into Figma and start creating a screen or a page and putting this here and that there, you, you, there's two main things you need to know. You need to know what, what are the, uh, what is the conceptual model you're going to use? What are the objects? What are the views people are going to have on those objects? Uh, what are the actions they're gonna take on the objects? What are the attributes of the objects? What are the relationships between the objects? And the other thing you need to know, which is related, and, and, and you go back and forth between the two, is what is the task that this person is trying to do? And what is the order of the task? What do they wanna do first? What do they wanna do next? Um, and those two things get married together, the objects and the tasks. And the task flow, or which has lately been called user flow, um, uh, although it's not a user that's flowing, <laughs> it is a, ta- a task the Ew. user is doing. <laughs> but um, uh, those, you know, at the at the heart of it, that's what you're trying to to get a handle on in conceptual modeling. Because if you have that, if you know your whole object view structure and you know the task flow, you know then you're ready to start designing these screens. And if you don't know that and you haven't worked through that and you haven't ironed all this out and you just jump right to designing screens, I can guarantee you, you're gonna design screens and either A, you're going to have to make a gazillion changes to those screens uh, before you're done, or B, you're not going to make a gazillion changes and you're going to end up with an interface that people can't learn or can't use.
2: So for the purposes of trying to make this a little more concrete for our listeners and and at the risk of (laughs) completely blowing up our podcast here... (laughs) How would you feel about a little real time analysis?
1: Uh oh. Go ahead. I'm uh
2: ready. well, I thought we could we could look at something together. And yeah. uh we don't, you know, we can't. A just lot talk of people are listening.
1: Yes. Not looking.
2: Well, but they will look at, at this afterwards or maybe okay. as they're yeah, listening to. Go be ahead, like, go for it. Play along. Uh so I I was thinking about this, you know, this morning as I was looking at my notes and thinking about well, how do we talk about this? And yeah. And, and try and get more concrete. So if we take an example, it could be it could be anything that's that's common that we would both have common ground and that most of our listeners would have common ground for yeah. understanding. So, you know, Amazon.com or Spotify or some something. Yeah. Microsoft Word, something that's ubiquitous, right? And we can mm-hmm. look at that together, you and I, and talk Absolutely. a little
1: bit Absolutely. Let's this. let's you pick Sp- Let's pick Spotify.
2: Spotify. Okay.
1: Spotify yeah. is
2: our, our weapon of choice. That's-
1: yeah uh
0: that's um everyone lo- loves to pick spotify oh okay all right is that all right um, with
1: you then guthrie that we picked uh, i don't
0: care it's your you guys do what you want i'm just <laughs> i'm just telling you that um so uh as part of my job i've, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of uh college uh, uxers or people recently graduating who are doing ux uh j- junior uxers and um Everyone's uh, uh, capstone project is always Spotify. <laughs> really? Seriously? Yeah, like sixty-five percent of the time, they've, they've picked funny. Spotify as their as their case study example. Okay. So it's it, got it's got cards. It got there's interesting yeah. Views perfect. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 It's yeah. Okay. All it's
2: got right. Different well, apps. So I I just fired up Spotify. So I'm yeah, I'm not looking at the camera. I can't see you. So okay, uh, if you need need me, just holler. But here I'm looking at Spotify. I'm I'm on a Mac. I'm looking at the the app. Right. I'm on Windows. On. Okay. So we'll see if there are any distinctions there. You have your. I can uh, also
1: do it on my phone.
2: Yeah, that brings up special cases. Maybe we can,
0: maybe we can move I'm going to do both.
1: I'm going to do both. Go ahead. Okay. Hey
0: guys. Okay. Parallel tracking. Yes. What? Uh, you do know that. I can just share Spotify with you if you want.
1: You mean on the screen,
2: or you mean like one license we all use the same account? Oh, I see. You want to do that? Look at that. Okay, okay. all right. Well, we can do that. We can do that. Except go I ahead. can't see the bloody thing. But go ahead. Oh wait, I can make the. I can enter full screen mode. Ah, <gasps> that's magic. Okay, very good. This will work. All right. So Guthrie, you are sharing. Uh, So if you look outside of what you're sharing, uh, there is a menu at the top, right?
0: And And by the way, this is the new Spotify UI. They have, this is, you know, recently did their big rolled out update. So,
2: okay. Just saying. And I am getting, now I've completely lost all of my windows. So I have no idea where you are, Guthrie, but. I'm going to look at Spotify and come back to that. So what I'm seeing is in the upper left, a big home button. Very nice. We like to have that. There is a search. Very nice. And then there is a your library. And then a menu that scrolls. It says playlists, podcasts, and shows, albums, artists, etc. And then there's a list under that. And then in the main area seems to be an ad and seems to be recently played things. And then on the right, seems to be, I don't know. I don't know seems to be recommended is. stuff from what I've seen yeah, to before. Maybe. All right. Susan, you, you take over while I try and find where you guys are in my of tabs here.
1: Well, you know, I think one of, one of the. There you are. Uh, uh, you know, if we are now, D- Dean, did you want to look at this in terms of objects and views?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so first of all, let's let's deconstruct this and say, well, what are the objects we're dealing with here? Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: Guthrie's now, got a different view than I have. Interesting. That's what mm-hmm. I said. I have the new. Yeah. I have the new one. So it all is right. different. Okay.
2: Well, yeah. this brings up a. This brings up a real. I'll. I'll so it, as I was talking through what I I just saw, it was literally labels home search your library playlists etc Guthrie what, what you're what you're showing the the toolbar right that you have uh, the the icons on the on the left those are not labeled so this, this is an important people don't talk about this i don't know actually where this is in the literature this might have been something i picked up early on from doing it and working with other people who were steeped in this stuff but there are implicit and explicit objects Right. Like not every object says here, I am a song list. Right. It's just there and it's not labeled. And you have to get the idea of it from how it is presented. So that's kind of a, yeah. What I find,
1: what I find interesting uh, about what's on the left, the menu. All right. So here's some things I find interesting. First of all, there's very, when I, when just looking at the entire screen, there's very, there are, there are objects on here and we are looking at a view of different objects, but the labeling is not clear at all. So the, oh, right. the objects are not labeled. So uh, some of them are, but not clearly. Like the main labels on the, on the screen are on my screen when I bring up Spotify. Let me see if that's true of Guthrie's. Yeah, are things like recently played, new indie playlists, is, that's what Guthrie has. Good Afternoon. Okay, that's a label. Good afternoon. It's like what what the heck, you know? What does that mean, good afternoon? And by the way, on mine it says good morning because I'm an hour earlier. But like what is that's not a thing, right? And then I have a label that says made for Susan Wineshank, right? Just right, 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 all right. the daily mixes and stuff. But basically you have a lot of um stuff on the screen and it's not clear what object you're looking at. Well, let's,
2: yeah, let's get out. Let's zoom out from the, uh, not zoom out, but let's, let's move from the heuristic evaluation in real time to deconstructing the object model. Right. So let's say, let's say they came to you and they said, Hey, we want to completely redesign this from the ground up, which judging from what you said, hold on, hold on. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's continue this, continue this, this track, uh, this, uh, Line of thinking here. So, All if right. if we were to do a conceptual object model
0: for yeah. Spotify, what
1: do I think is in here, or what are what, the, what it, are the yeah what are the things? I think there are playlists.
0: Okay, because I I did expand. I, I had my library collapsed, so you can expand it. Yeah. Okay. okay I think that I think there
1: on. I think there are playlists. I think playlist is an object. Might be a sub object. I think there's a library object. Mm -hmm. I think there are um, there are. It's interesting. I think there are songs. Mm -hmm. I think there are. I I think they call them albums.
2: Well, they used to. We used to.
1: No, but I think they do call them (laughs) albums.
2: There are. Yeah, when when producer when. People no, I think they albums. call them albums.
1: No, I think yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, there are, um, there are artists.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are albums and artists. There are uh, playlists. I, I, you know, I would say that some of the things here are views of those objects. So, for instance, right. the collection of liked songs. Okay, I would say is a list. Of songs, so, right. so so songs is an so object, and like I, songs is a particular view. Can I view.
0: give you guys a, a a hint
1: about what?
0: When you search for yeah. something, yeah, in Spotify, it tells yeah. you exactly what the objects, the objects the Spotify are, because thinks it says, are.
1: It says artists playlist songs. And so you genres. can sort by
0: songs and it'll show you just the songs well, you should try by no, so I,
1: I don't know. No, those aren't objects.
0: I'm just telling you this is what Spotify No, Maybe. Thinks.
1: But for instance right. they have genre. A genre is not an object.
2: Genre
0: is a playlist. Right. So this gets to the whole
1: well, uh, no, genre is not a what playlist.
0: What is, is genre?
2: This gets to the <laughs> distinction between the information architecture and the object model, right? But if yeah. we, cause we can go crazy with, this is like we could go to 17 episodes with, with continuing this, but I want to, I want to take it back up a step just to try and give the people who are listening who have never done this before some yeah. insight into the thinking. So let's go back to kind of the first few things that you said, playlist yeah. library albums, artists, songs, uh, leave it at that to start. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the thought process, the object oriented thought process is to say we have these things. Yes. How have we derived these things, ideally from user research? Yep. We've gone through some sort of narrative from, from the users about their mental model, how they think about these things. We have isolated in that language the nouns, which are candidate objects, yep. right? And the verbs, which are candidate uh, tasks or actions. And we create a model that's going to Inform our screen design and that model is it can be just boxes and arrows. The uh, you know most refined way to do that is probably in UML. But if you're just doing boxes and arrows on a whiteboard, you've got playlists, library, songs, albums, artists, and the thought process is what are these things? Can we define them? What should they be called using the user's language? And then critically in the early stage. How are they related to one another? Because ultimately what I want to do is I want to play a song, right? I want to listen to a song, but I might in my narrative and my nouns and verbs thinking say, well, you know what? That song is something that I choose to search for. I get a list of versions of that song from different artists. I'll pick one. I'll put it in my playlist. So add becomes an action. Add to what? Add to a different object an object called playlist. What is the count of those things? How many songs can I have in a playlist? How many playlists can I have? We have to identify the number of those things. So we do this analysis of objects, attributes, actions, count, all of these things about an object, and then define the views in order to serve the information up to the user. So that, that's kind of the thought process yeah, that we need and, I, to. and
1: I do wanna point out that, you know, it's so so it's it's interesting because when we're designing something, we have to think about what is the user's current mental model and we wanna make it so it fits with that. But some but but doesn't have to be a hundred percent if we have a good reason to Do something slightly different. And the example I want to use here, since we're talking about Spotify, is there was a moment in time with any of these Spotify, Spotify or Spotify like programs, where if you asked the users about their mental model about listening to music, the word playlist would never have come up. There was no such Hmm. thing as a playlist. You know, there were maybe albums, there were maybe CDs, there were artists, but because you weren't streaming music this way, the idea of a playlist. So if you had, you know, just designed it based on the user's current mental model at that point in time historically, you would never have introduced the concept of a playlist. But you, so you can, you can build in th- things that are new but you have to know when you're building them in that it is new and you have to think about, therefore, should we do this? How, what is it? How, what do we call it? And, you know, and test it. And if it's, if it's a useful object and or useful view and you've named it well, then your testing will show that people go, Oh, I get it. It's a list of songs I like, you know, so you can build in new stuff but y- you have to know when you're doing that that you are purposely choosing something that isn't part of the user's current mental model, and you know then how are we going to make it easy to to learn and understand?
2: Yeah, and this is this really describes what you just went through. Describes the relationship between analysis and design, right? And there's a space for innovation in there. So if we're doing yes. an analysis, we're doing research,
1: we're analyzing.
2: Our users what is world their current their mental, mental model.
1: model? What is their We're, current right. task analysis? It's, and then, well, what's the future mental model that we want them to have? What's the future task analysis? Right. How do how do we get there? Yep.
2: So so the process includes that analysis of current state. Yep. And then it includes a place for the creative work of what would be yeah. referred to as a value add object. You know, you're you're sitting around with the team and the whiteboard and you're spitballing ideas, and you're like, hey, what if we had this thing called a playlist? And right. then somebody else is gonna say, Well, let's let's use the word, let's use the label collection instead of playlist. Nobody right. knows what a label is, or what that label is. So so then you get into the semantics, right? Yep. As well. And so there, there's there are kind of two steps to the process: there's the analysis of current state, there's the designing of the future state. And then all the way through, there's respect, healthy respect for semantics.
1: And I think one of the things that, and I know we're we're, we're at at time, so I'll try and wrap it up. One of the things that that um, is, I I just is really important is that you make these decisions and you map this out before you've designed the detail right, screens. Right. You actually don't want to design the detail screen and then back up into what what, what is the conceptual model we've created. You want to think about it ahead of time and then and then design based on that. And then there's one other thing I want to say because I told you I was gonna I had an argument uh, I never I yeah, yeah. mentioned what that is. So I want to make a distinction between. When we were talking in our earlier episodes on this topic and we were talking about graphical user interfaces and, and, and when objects started appearing on mm. screens, you know, when Windows was first developed and now there were buttons and now there were, you know, boxes, right? I mean, if I'm, we're looking at the Spotify screen, there's, there's boxes and, you know, things to click on right? And I can click on the little heart icon. And, you know, that's the whole idea of a graphical user interface. And, and, you know, a, a, a lot of the design we all do now is based on designing for this kind of graphical user interface, but not all of it. I mean, if you're doing a voice interface, you don't have, you don't have buttons, you know? So, this idea of a conceptual model, this idea of objects and their relationship and the actions you take on objects is not necessarily directly related to graphical user interfaces. So in, before before graphical user interfaces really came on the scene, when we had, and and I, I don't know what, 1% of the people listening remember this, but maybe you saw some old screens in old movies or something. Before this, you still had screens, and you had data on screens. Um, you just didn't interact with things by clicking on things. Right. <laughs> you know, you didn't necessarily have a mouse, uh, but you could still make your way through menus right you could still and we did make object and view uh uh, and action decisions because it's it's because the and you can do the same thing with a voice interface even though you're not clicking on anything right so this is not i i wanted to kind of decouple a little bit the the dependency, It when we talk about objects and views in interface design and making these decisions, we are talking about a conceptual abstract model that then influences how the user does what they do, what they call things, what the order of events is. And that is separate from whatever the interface is you decide to use
2: and, and separate from the technology, right? It's you separate can, from the technology, you can create and should create a, an object-oriented model and go through the object view exercise. Even if you're using a procedural language, it doesn't. It doesn't That's right. Require it doesn't require object-oriented, object-oriented programming. Object-oriented programming.
1: Right. It doesn't require a visual interface.
2: Yeah, right. That doesn't you even can, require a visual. You do, you the, same can do now, the same thing.
1: same thing with but, voice.
2: But but I will say, from a voice standpoint. Yeah. If you then so, you know we're looking at a playlist now. We're li- looking at songs. If I want to, uh, if I want to play funky bits, looking at what? <laughs> if I want to play Guthrie's funky bits here on the screen, what do I do? I identify an object visually, right? This is a matter of perception, physical perception, and I click on the thing. And there may be in, in proper ori- uh, object orientation various actions that I can take, you know, direct manipulation that I can take directly on this thing, right? I could kick on, click yes. on it to play it. I can drag it into my playlist. Wait, that's I don't right. even know if that's possible. Can you, we, we should experiment with that. Can you drag that into a playlist rather than click on it and use a menu command to move it, but whatever, I can take that action on the thing. I am in a visual interface. You're always dealing with objects and actions in a visual interface like this. I would notice that the Funky Bits song is there. I would click on it and it would play, or I would click on it and then mash play, however it operates. But it is object, then action, right? Yes. If this were a voice interface, hey, computer, play Funky Bits. Yes. It's action, then...
1: Well, and that, yes. So so that's why... That's why you do when you're designing. You have to, whether you're doing the conceptual design as well as the detail design, you have to know what is the expectation of how this, where and how this is going to be used. Because as you said, if it's a voice interface, there's all kinds of things I have to do differently. I mean, even you know, we know, for instance, that that with voice interfaces, um, you you can't have as many choices because the audio uh, memory is. You know, it is really relying on memory. If Auditively. I'm looking, if I'm looking at the screen, yeah. I don't have to remember all my choices because right. right. they're sitting there on the screen. But if you're telling me what my choices are and you're reading them to me, then I've got a totally different memory problem now. Cause it's, I'm not, I don't have the visual cue. And, and if I'm on my phone, the, all the interactions are different. I'm not going to be, you know, dragging something over and dropping it. So, you know, it's not, it's just, not. Right, I, right, I right, might right. be doing swiping, right. It's, it's, it's different. And you have to know that, and that will affect and should affect your conceptual model decisions. So that, you know, you have to know when you're designing the conceptual model, what are the intended ways that this is going to be used and you, and you got to take that into account as well. And that's what makes our job so fun. All right. We All right. are absolutely over time, Guthrie. This is a long one. You got to make, a, okay. stop. make no. a stop. Make us stop.
0: Never, <laughs> never. That's fine. Did,
1: uh, we w- do, did we do it, Dean?
0: Oh, no, we're not done. Oh. I mean, we, we can be done. No, no okay. no, so. no, no, no. no, no, no. we we'll back. You got to do another one. You got to do another one.
2: Yes, we can do another, or we can end the series here, or we can nope. do
0: another one. Nope. No, Guthrie's like,
1: nope, nope, nope. you're doing oh, it. You're not done. You're not done. All right, All done. You haven't right. It we'll up be done when you
0: have nothing left to say. Well, that, that'll well, take forever. Okay, the year I touch
1: 2072. On, you can change yeah,
0: topics. I want to go back to the, uh, in our
2: next episode then, just so we know yes. where we left where off. Yes, where we gone? Um, We could explore the... You know, this notion of of one model and multiple implementations, right? You have your one object model and then you might have a different yeah. set of views or different implementation for the desktop, for the mobile, yeah. for the voice, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, since m- most of our your listeners are probably working in a visual interface, uh, we never really got into a couple of key. Topics around object-oriented design, yeah, uh, such as metaphor, metaphor, and skeuomorphism. Oh, good. Let's right. go so there. I'd like to pick up there and get get into the real designerly stuff.
1: Metaphor and skeuomorphism, mm-hmm. and you get extra points if you can. Don't do it now. If you can spell skeuomorphism when we get back together, <laughs>
2: it's a great Scrabble
1: word. <laughs> it would be challenged by my Scrabble <laughs> people. It has, to, Yeah, that is a, that is crazy. All right, Guthrie, take us out. If people are, are still listening and <laughs> have any questions or comments, how do they reach us?
0: Uh, you can email us at info at the All right.
1: That's
0: the best way to do it. Um, other things to note. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to mention this uh, soon as well. Um, we are finishing up uh, writing a second edition
1: yeah one of my things. books yeah uh,
0: so that that will be coming out shortly so keep an eye out for that yeah and uh we're also um we're restarting up um some other stuff maybe get the newsletter uh restarted sprucing yeah. up the blog so there's sort of a sort of a you know summer projects coming into fruition so we'll keep an eye keep an eye out for those things if if you're interested about other team w stuff all right
1: Thank you, Guthrie. Thank you, Dean.
0: Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Guthrie. Bye. Bye.